This is Nuclear Explained. In recent episodes of Nuclear Explained, we explained nuclear's role in the energy and medical fields. We learned about the role of nuclear power to achieve net zero goals and energy security. We have also learned about nuclear and radiation technologies to fight against cancer. Today, we're diving into another field, water resources. I'm your host, Joanne Liu. And I'm Ihan Evrensel. About 3% of the Earth's water is fresh water. This is the water we drink, we bathe in, and we irrigate our farms with. Besides the water seen flowing in lakes and rivers, or frozen in glaciers and ice caps, most fresh water goes unseen in underground aquifers. Nuclear science comes into the picture to help us understand the links among these resources. Nuclear techniques are used to not only reveal, but also to monitor water supplies both above and under the ground. Nuclear techniques, namely isotope hydrology, is used to map water resources and to obtain precise information on their availability and quality. In this episode, you will learn about isotope hydrology and how it supports the Sustainable Development Goals. You will also learn how Kuwait, a hot and arid country, is managing its water resources with the help of isotope hydrology. Let's begin with the basics of isotope hydrology. For this first segment, I talk with Bob Kalin. Um, the last 40 years of my career, I've looked at water resources in many places around the world and have been very focused on using isotope hydrology to understand how water moves. Bob is a professor of environmental engineering for sustainability at Strathlyde University in Glasgow, Scotland. Today we're talking about isotope hydrology, and let's break that down. Let's start with hydrology. Water is life on the planet. So it can exist in the seas, it can exist as polar ice caps, it can exist as rivers and lakes, and also in the ground as groundwater. And also it comes from rainfall and other things from meteorology. A lot of people would lump hydrology together into the study of all that water and how it moves across the planet. And then we have the nuclear side, isotopes. What are isotopes? If we think of two cars, we think of a, a small compact car and we think of a, a nice big sedan. They're both cars, but one weighs more than the other. So essentially the same thing happens with different elements. So if I take carbon, uh, a carbon-13 and a carbon-12 both have six protons. That's what makes them chemically carbon. But one of them has seven neutrons one of them has six. So they weigh slightly different. So we have isotopes, atoms of the same element, but with a different number of neutrons, which give it a different weight. Mm -hmm. And in isotope hydrology, what kind of isotopes are we working with? Within the H2O in the water molecule itself, you have deuterium, tritium, and hydrogen as three different isotopes of the hydrogen. And you have oxygen 18, oxygen 17, and oxygen 16 of the oxygen, whether it's nitrogen, carbon, sulfur, oxygen, chloride, uh, boron, there's a huge range of different stable isotopes that we would measure in different ways. And then you have carbon-14, tritium, chlorine-36, and other radioactive isotopes. What are the differences? Stable isotopes change because of physical processes in nature. So maybe the evaporation of, of seawater into clouds um, changes the stable isotopes. So if we're trying to find out where something has come from, like it's come from the ocean 
um, to rainfall on the top of a mountain down to a river, and then we can use the stable isotopes. But we don't know how long it's taken to do all that. And this is where the radioisotopes really come into their best application, because radioisotopes through their natural decay over time can give us an indication of the time dependency. How long did it take the water from the top of the mountain to get down to my well? That's something the radioisotopes are able to tell us. We can look to very old waters and come up with an age of the water by using the radioactive decays. And why do we need to know the age of water? There's some places in the world where water hasn't gone into the ground for thousands of years. It's like um, any other raw material. It, it's not renewable. And therefore, if we start pumping lots of old groundwater out of the ground and it's not going back in, we're basically emptying the bank of water underneath the ground. So by understanding how fast water is going in, how fast it's moving, and what the total bank is and the age of that bank, we could determine the balance of this and then manage the water resources much more effectively. What are the different steps to actually apply isotope hydrology to, to study our groundwater or our surface water? Well, I, I think the first most important step is to be creative. You start off with trying to understand the system conceptually. So this would be um, looking at how water is moving. Where is the water coming from? What is its isotopic signatures or chemistry signatures? How is it moving through the system? And then you say, ah, now the key thing is the water's going from point A to point B to point C. Let me find the surface water at point A, the groundwater at point B, the groundwater at point C, and then see how that all links together. And from that, come up with a better understanding of how long it's actually taken the water to flow. Um, people think of surface water and groundwater separately, but actually they're interrelated. There's certain times of year that the surface water will go into the groundwater, and then maybe during the dry season, the water will come back out of the groundwater and go into the surface water. So we don't always know when this is, and trying to understand that is very difficult. There's a different signature in the isotopes of the groundwater and the surface water. The mixing of those two signatures, isotope signatures, can tell us about the percentages of groundwater and surface water we find in our rivers. Each water molecule has a signature. Let's define what are isotopic signatures. So isotopic signatures, water moves through many different forms. It could be ice, it could be snow, it could be rain, it could be vapor. The, the water molecule starts off with one signature as ocean water, has a different si signature as the vapor once it's evaporated, has a different signature when it, it first falls on land, and then the residual vapor ends up with a different rainfall signature on the top of mountain. Each one of those processes can end up changing the ratio of the heavy to the light isotope. So each one of those will have a unique sort of fingerprint for that one, but the overall signature of that movement is something we can look across continents and across the globe. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. As Bob explained, isotope hydrology can reveal the life story of water. Based on the isotopic fingerprint, scientists can determine the origin, age, quality, and renewal rate of water resources. Isotope hydrology is a valuable nuclear technique, especially as the world's freshwater resources are being drained faster than they are being replenished. In this next segment, I speak with Jody Miller. She heads the isotope hydrology section at the IAEA. In light of climate change and the ever-increasing demand for water, 
Jordi will explain how isotope hydrology is applied to manage and protect this precious resource. This is also of particular importance for the UN Sustainable Development Goals on clean water and sanitation and on climate action. How is isotope hydrology used to protect the water resources? Protecting water resources is a really important goal for all countries, especially as we see the impacts of climate change becoming more and more pronounced. Isotope hydrology is a really useful tool for countries to help do this because what isotope hydrology does is give us a fingerprint of the water molecule. And when we have that fingerprint, we can much better understand how water is moving between different water resources. So, for example, between rivers and lakes, between surface water and groundwater. We need to know how much water is where and where it's coming from in order to be able to take steps to protect the pathways from which it's transferring from one water resource to another. How does climate change really affect the water? Is it the quantity? Is it the quality? It's both the quality and the quantity of the water, but it's affecting it in different ways. So there's a lot of talk about the impact of climate change on sea level rise. And of course, as soon as the sea level rises, everybody's concerned about their property prices. But the most profound impact for most people is going to be that seawater is going to get into the groundwater reserves. And as soon as that happens, instead of having fresh potable groundwater, suddenly you're dealing with a water source that has a significant component of seawater. But also, as we see climate changing, it's getting hotter in some areas. And as soon as we have a lake, for example, in a hotter area, it starts to evaporate faster. If you have ever evaporated water in a pan, you know that it concentrates the salts that are already existing in the water. And all water has some level of salt in it because it's getting hotter, those salts become more concentrated and it changes the taste of the water. The other major impact of climate change is also on the temperature of the water bodies. When you increase the temperature of a water body, you change the biological system that functions. In winter, when it's cold, the vegetation in the lake, the aquatic plants, they don't grow very fast. In summer, when it warms up, the vegetation grows much faster. But so does algae and other pathogens, other harmful things that are occurring in our water system. How does isotope hydrology really help the countries in adapting to the effects of climate change? We have seen that with climate change, one of the main adaptation strategies is to use groundwater instead of surface water. There are a lot of countries, a lot of cities that are wholly dependent on surface water resources. We could take Cape Town in South Africa, for example. It was about 2017. Cape Town had a really serious drought and they really had to ration water strictly. And one of the reasons for this is because the city's water supply is dependent on surface water resources. And so one of the adaptation strategies was to incorporate groundwater into their domestic water supply. Isotope hydrology tools can be used to 
look at that process by understanding how old the groundwater system is. Now, the assumption is that rain goes straight down and into the groundwater system. But we actually don't have, in many places, a good understanding of how long it takes. We also don't know, in many places, whether the precipitation that falls on the ground in one place is the groundwater that we take out. Groundwater has a point at which you are recharging the groundwater system and then the groundwater will flow underground and it will discharge. And a discharge point of a groundwater system, for example, is a spring. How long it takes to get from the recharge point to the discharge point is something that we need to know in order to understand how sustainable that groundwater resource is. And one of the best ways of doing that is with a radioisotope tracer. And those are the ones that tell us about time frames of processes. How do you bring the countries together to work on this global problem? It, on one hand, is a national problem, but on the other hand, it's a global problem because water knows no borders. That's a really good point because water resources is not actually a national resource. It's actually a global resource. And so the most effective way of managing resources is looking at it not from a national perspective, but from a regional perspective. And one of the really great examples of this is actually in the Sahil region of West Africa, West to Central Africa. The IAEA has been working in this area for a number of years with 13 countries to transfer isotope techniques um, and particularly looking at the sources of their groundwater. One of the ways that we can help countries also is by monitoring. You need to monitor because if you don't monitor, you can't manage something. And this is one of the ways in which we can see the impacts of climate change. Often people say, well, you know, last summer was really hot, but this summer it's not so hot. I think climate change isn't really happening. But climate change is a long-term process. And if you want to see the impact of long-term processes, you need to have the data that is long-term as well. And that's what monitoring gives you. At the IAEA, we have a monitoring program for precipitation, which we call the Global Network of Isotopes in Precipitation. It's been running since 1960, and it helps us to understand how precipitation patterns are changing and how different types of rainfall events are transferring down to the groundwater system. So understanding the timescales of groundwater flow is really essential to understanding whether we are pumping groundwater out at a rate that it's not being recharged. You're listening to Nuclear Explained. Climate change is disrupting weather patterns, leading to extreme weather events, unpredictable water availability and contamination of water supplies. As Jody mentioned, rising sea levels are causing fresh water to become salty, which compromises the water resources that millions of people rely on. And millions of people around the world live without sufficient access to water. It's projected to get worse. According to the World Health Organization, half of the world's population could be living in areas facing water scarcity by as early as 2025. 
Water scarcity occurs when demand for safe, usable water exceeds supply. Some of the most water-scarce countries in the world are in the Middle East. Kuwait is one of those countries. In this last segment, I speak with an expert from the Water Research Center at the Kuwait Institute for Scientific Research. He will tell us how isotopes have helped Kuwait manage its water supply and protect it from contaminants. I'm Dr. Chitambaram Sabharatnam, Acting Program Manager and a Research Scientist. Describe Kuwait's history and status with water resources. Kuwait is an arid country, which has more uh, evaporation rates and uh, temperatures are very higher. Historically, uh, the water, uh, it was uh, transported from the adjacent countries. And then later on, 1940s, and we got a first uh, groundwater well. And then in 1951, we went for the desalination plants. And subsequently, we discovered some fresh water on 1960s. And it's quite interesting that uh, we also had the support of the agency to identify what was the previous recharge histories of these aquifers. It was around 8,000 to 6,000 years. We had plenty of rainfall in this region. And now it is drastically a different condition. We don't have enough of fresh groundwater resources. But uh, what we rely on is on desalination, wastewater treatment, and brackish groundwater resources from where we can uh, treat it and use it again. What are the biggest threats to Kuwait's water resources? With respect to groundwaters, quantity-wise it's getting depleted, and the quality-wise there are two different sources where it is getting contaminated. May it be a natural source of contamination or the artificial contamination. So here we had to identify the types of pollutants which contaminate the groundwater and what could be the source and uh, how we can mitigate it, especially to understand the migration of each, for example, nitrates, sulfates, and some of the pollutants which were higher in the groundwater. Tell us a little bit more about this issue with contaminants and exactly what kind of science or technology was behind determining the contaminant and its source. To identify the contaminants, basically we analyze water and if you want to know the source from where it is coming and uh, how it is getting into the aquatic medium, what are the different contributors, the same contaminant can be from different sources also. So to differentiate that or to fingerprint that isotope is the only method which can help us to fingerprint the exact source of that particular contaminant. Can you walk us through the process or give us an example of the steps? First, when we went through initial observations of water distributed throughout Kuwait, we were able to identify certain regions which were contaminated, means the level of certain ions or the elements were higher than the prescribed limits for drinking. Uh, so then we try to map the regions where it was higher. Then later we try to find out the entire distribution of these contaminants in groundwater. The second stage of that was to exactly mitigate that. Like, okay, if this is the region we have identified, where from exactly this source is being released into the water, whether it is natural source or it is a, from the anthropogenic sources, we even have a recent ongoing project that helps us to identify the gas contamination in the aquifers. Because we are an oil country, so the probability of the gas contamination in the aquifers are also being studied with the help of the isotope. This a very precise tool which can fingerprint the exact process and the source. 
How has Kuwait's water resources been affected by climate change? Obviously, the amount of fresh water which is discharged onto the Gulf is getting reduced. And with the increase in temperature, obviously the salinity of that water is also increased. So when this adds to the normal brine uh, discharge process, so which further increases the salinity, energy which is being generated is used for the treatment of water. Now we are uh, planning for a groundwater climate impact vulnerability mapping. The vulnerability of groundwater resources, why is it important to know where it is and also spatially and time-wise, how it travels? This is a very important question. <laughs> For a planning and strategy, policy making, we need to know where to concentrate more. There's a small difference between mapping of what is there in the current status and what is going to happen. So vulnerability is something which can get you what is going to happen. First, you understand the region where it is going to be affected. Then you develop a policy or a strategy or an action plan to mitigate that not that should not happen. What is Kuwait doing to manage the water resources that you have today? With regard to groundwater, initially we try to find out the locations for recharge and then uh, we try to uh, develop a tracing model means where if you recharge here where the water will be going. So that kind of tracer techniques were used and we have experimented the aquifer recharge. So artificial recharging, the treated waters are being pumped into the aquifers to increase the potential of the groundwater. And uh, we have experimented it and it is successful. And we are doing awareness campaigns to have lesser consumption of water. And then uh, we are also on to the nexus issue, energy water nexus issues, so that the, in future we will concentrate on optimizing the use of energy also. Dr. Chidambaram highlighted the impact of isotope hydrology. This nuclear technique provides data needed to make informed decisions to protect this vital resource today and in the future. Here's an interesting fact. The Isotope Hydrology Laboratory in Vienna is the oldest of the IAES-12 research and development laboratories. It has been supporting countries in sustainable water resource management for over 60 years. Go to iaea.org slash podcasts for more information and resources related to this episode and more. If you have a question, feedback, or interesting facts to share, email us at nuclearexplained at iaea.org. And don't forget to subscribe to Nuclear Explained to learn more about the world of nuclear and how it impacts our daily lives. Find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Joanne Liu. And I'm Ayhan Evrense. Thanks for listening to Nuclear Explained, brought to you by the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. You have been listening to Nuclear Explained.